Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. This is edition number 157. We're still looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 28. We'll take up paragraph number four uh, today. Let's pray first. Our Father in heaven, as we come again to your word and we come to understand the things that you teach us in it, we pray that you would grant us your spirit. He who penned it might illumine our minds, our ears, our hearts, all of it, that we might uh, walk faithfully with you. For we know that you've given these things to us, not just merely to fill our minds, but to govern our lives. And so we pray that you would help us do that. We ask that you'd forgive us and you'd cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we are in paragraph number four of chapter 28. This paragraph, like the paragraph preceding that preceded it, uh, contains what has uh, become a controversy uh, within uh, Orthodox Christianity. And so I'm just going to read the paragraph. It's very short. and then try to unpack this um, somewhat, but I will tell you now that I'm, my mission here, my goal here is not to defend the Presbyterian view of baptism, um, but is simply to articulate what it does say uh, as given to us in this paragraph. Paragraph number four of chapter 28, not only those that do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. Now, on the first point, there is zero debate. Uh, Every branch of Christendom, um, every branch of Orthodox Christianity historically has has, um, professed the need for those who come to faith in Christ, who profess faith in Christ, in obedience to Him, they are indeed to be baptized. Again, on this point, there is no debate. Even within Presbyterianism, uh, we, of course, believe that. Uh, we, uh, we baptize adult converts into the church, those who come to faith in Christ at a later period who were not necessarily raised in the church, who had not been baptized in the church. And we have this by example, of course, given to us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And if you turn again, same book, Acts chapter 16, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized... And her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Later in that chapter, we have the events with the jailer, of the, the one who was governed, or was uh, tasked with the responsibility to watch over, supervise Paul and Silas in jail. In verse 31, we read there, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all were in this house, and he took them the same hour of, that, of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
And so there's no question that within the, uh, within the canon of the New Testament, the, the mandate to baptize adult converts uh, is certainly uh, true. And, and on this point, as I've said, there is little debate. Uh, this is uh, flowing out of the very words that Christ gave his apostles at the end of uh, his earthly ministry before he ascended to his Father. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The debate comes, of course, when we begin to deal with those who have not made a profession of faith, but are, by virtue of one or both believing parents, they are members of the visible church and, and therefore have a right to all the privileges that come from that. Now, I did say, and I want to be very clear here, I did say that they are members of the visible church. Nor saying that they've made a profession of faith, nor am I saying that baptism itself will save them. But we do know uh, that um, Paul does teach um, in 1 Corinthians 7, the unbelie- in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So one or both believing parents here in this house, but the children are, by virtue of the fact that they live in that home, they are set apart. They are holy unto God. That is to say that he has his name placed upon them in a visible sense as it pertains to the church. Now this view, this position, is rooted in its covenantal understanding of matters that occurred uh, between God and Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 17, the sign of the covenant that God places upon not only Abraham, but upon his children after him. Verse 7 of Genesis 17, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout, the, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, We have to think about this. Now, the offspring of Abraham, the two primary uh, characters uh, that the the, the Genesis narrative takes up is Isaac and Ishmael, or probably better put, Ishmael and then Isaac. They both um, had this covenant promise given to them that God would be um, their God to them and to Abraham's offspring, Ishmael and Isaac. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Now note how many times the word offspring is used throughout this, this narrative. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up this very, uh, this very teaching in Galatians chapter 3. It's not the only place in Colossians 2 as well, but 
Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 9, there we read, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so Paul roots this covenant blessing all the way back to the days of Abraham. And then verse 14, So that in, G in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit uh, through of faith. And so we baptize infants because we believe, uh, an infant of one or both believing parents, who are members of the visible church, who have made a profession of faith, we baptize them because we believe that they're part of the visible church. We believe, just like in the days of Abraham, that Ishmael was part of the visible church. He enjoyed all the benefits and all the blessings that his brother enjoyed. Now Ishmael never believed. Uh, the sign of the covenant was not obeyed by Ishmael. He rejected the terms of the covenant and went his own way. Whereas Isaac believed the terms of the covenant, he by faith trusted in the God who saved him, the, the God of his redemption. And it is the same today. And that baptism now has been expanded to both male and female, young and old, a, a little girl, little boy, all of it because circumcision in the Old Testament was a bloody sacrifice. But because of the sacrifice of Christ, there is no need of a bloody sacrifice any longer, for that has been accomplished. And so water is used, as we noted uh, a couple editions ago, the outward element to be used in baptism is water. And we baptize both uh, male, female, who are members of one or both believing parents because they are in fact holy. They are in fact set apart in a visible way from the world. God has placed that child in that home deliberately and intentionally. We believe that God opens the womb. He closes the womb. And we believe that God in his sovereign good pleasure placed that child in that family that they might hear the terms of the gospel and repent of their own and look to Christ for salvation, of which baptism itself is a sign and seal unto. And so we do that to mark them out. They are not of the world. Uh, they have a need for Christ, but they are different. They are separate because they have all of the benefits, the, the huge, tremendous privilege of hearing the Word of God preached every Lord's Day as as parents faithfully bringing their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, bring them to church that they might hear the terms of the gospel, that they might see the sacraments administered and, and, and um, celebrated by, the, by their parents and by others around them. They enjoy the fellowship of God's people. All of this is designed to, to move their heart, their soul, their conscience, to recognize that they too, like their parents and like everyone else in that room, they must claim Christ as their own. They must repent of their sin. They must look to Christ. They must obey the, the, the mandates of their baptism. And they must trust Christ alone for salvation. Now, I recognize that this is disputed within Orthodox Christianity. I don't... I don't... Uh, uh, I disagree with my Baptist brothers on this point. I disagree with them completely. But we, dis we do agree, of course... Uh, that we, uh, we baptize those who profess faith in Christ. Now, I've heard some objections to this, that nowhere in the New Testament do we have any command or even example of infants being baptized. Well, I might quibble with that just a little bit in the Acts 16 account with the, uh, with the Philippian jailer and in the household baptism that, it, that, baptism that ensued there, because it nowhere says in that text that his family believed 
the offer of salvation was offered to them, but it nowhere says that they believed, but it does say explicitly that they were baptized. However, even if that's not enough for most people, and usually it isn't, um, I will say this, that even my Baptist brothers give the Lord's Supper to women. And there is no example in the New Testament or express command of which the Lord's Supper was actually celebrated, the actual event was celebrated by women. The only actual event of celebrating the Lord's Supper that we witness is the, the inauguration of it. And there, Jesus' apostles were present. No women. But of course, we, by good and necessary consequence, we give the Lord's Supper to women in the church. Why? Because they belong to Christ. Because they've made a profession of faith. They're part and parcel of the visible church. And so, by good and necessary consequence, we arrive at that conclusion. And we do that dutifully. Uh, because that is what the New Testament actually teaches us. And so, if we're looking for a specific command to baptize infants, it's not there. Uh, but there is nowhere an expressed place in which the Trinity is articulated in a way we understand it. One God, uh, three persons, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But Orthodox Christians have believed the doctrine of the Trinity uh, since the founding of the Church. And so... We need to be very careful that we don't turn into biblicists and that we only believe that expressed word, uh, but that through thought and care and good exegesis and biblical interpretation that we arrive at good and necessary consequence positions that the Bible plainly teaches us. And so that is why we as Presbyterians, we baptize infants for all the reasons I've just said, and that's how we arrive at that Conclusion, through good and necessary consequence, the sign of the covenant with circumcision has been replaced by baptism in the New Testament. No need of a bloody sacrifice. It's been expanded to include all, male and female, young and old. We baptize adult converts. We baptize those who are born by God's own sovereign goodwill, born to one or both believing parents. Now, what does this mean for you as a as a parent, uh, your child has been baptized. Well, you have taken vows to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, what does that mean for you as an adult who's been baptized? Well, it means that you have, you've expressed publicly your willingness to follow the mandates of the gospel and to walk according to what Christ commands. All of these things are wrapped up in baptism. We're going to see some of that in the days ahead. But it's enough to say that although there is disagreement on some points of this doctrine, we all agree what it means. We all agree as to what it points to. And it does point, indeed, to the newness of life and to walk faithfully with the God of heaven. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so, until the Thursday edition, may the Lord help you and may you walk with him. God bless.